So uh, earlier this uh, week, uh, Patty and I were <clears throat> talking on the phone, and she had commented that uh, since I had started this uh, series on what it really means to be a, a slave of Christ, uh, she is seeing that particular relationship, that the slave-to-master relationship, all over the Bible. And of course, you know, it's, it's always been there. Uh, she knows that. I know that. Probably most all of us in here uh, know that somewhere in the back of our mind. But now, because we have been focusing on it and thinking about it, it just seems to jump off the pages of the Bible everywhere we look. And, and I'm hoping it's doing the same uh, thing for you. Uh, so far in this series, we have been focusing on what it means to be a slave, the obligations of being a slave. What does that mean for us in terms of what is required of us as slaves? And, and today's going to be no different. We're still looking at that idea. But, but I do want you to know that as we end this series, we're going to shift from the obligations to the benefits. I mean, there are some incredibly wonderful realities that are ours because we are slaves of Christ. Um, so if this series uh, so far has seemed a little heavy to you, well, that was intentional. Um, I, I think this concept of us being a slave of Christ, even though it's biblical, uh, is something that by and large has been missing from our Americanized Christianity. But even with that, I, I do want to end with the truth that all the obligations that are listed out of this life, they are totally worth it as, as you have your relationship with Christ. So keep that in mind as we press ahead. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. And uh, Matthew 24, that's uh, near the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. The crucifixion is just over the horizon for him. And these specific verses, uh, uh, the context of these verses, um, are, are Jesus' teaching about his return, the return of Christ. And Jesus has been emphasizing both the reality and the fact that he will return, and what the world's going to be like when he returns, and uh, what then it means for us as his followers. And that is specifically where we come to in the parable he tells us, starting in verse 45. That's what fits in in the story we're going to be talking about this morning. But I'm going to do something a little different. Rather than reading the verses we're going to look at this morning, I'm going to jump back a couple verses and just read verse 42 to set the stage and get us started. And then we'll cover these verses as we go through the message. So Matthew 24, verse 42 says this, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Uh, there's two words that can be translated as Lord in the Bible. Uh, one is the name of God, and you see that all the time through the Old and New Testament of Lord. But the other, the one that's used here, means master. You do not know when your master is coming back. Father God, as we prepare for this time of the message, we pray that our hearts would be open and pliable in your hands, that you would do the work in each of us that you want to do, that you would speak the message for each of us that you want us to hear. I ask, God, that nothing I say or do would hinder the work that you want to do here this morning, but rather you would use me as an instrument in your hand. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was in sixth grade, uh, which was you know, still back in elementary school in those days, I had a teacher who also doubled as the school principal 
that I really liked. I mean, I really respected this guy. The first teacher, I have to admit, through my entire career up to that point that I, that I enjoyed or liked. Uh, uh, this was a man that I uh, felt connected to. His name was Mr. Zimiga. And uh, at one point uh, during the year, he had asked me and, and my good friend Mike if we would be willing to be in charge of setting up all the lunchroom tables. I mean, we had lunch in, a, in the gym or this multi-purpose room, and so all the tables had to be put out every day before lunch. And that meant that Mike and I would get out of class 15 minutes early to do this job. And I don't remember if we got any other benefits out of the thing, but just getting out of class was good enough for us, so we, so we did that. And uh, these tables, I, I don't know if you uh, are familiar with these old style of lunchroom tables where the benches are all built in and they're like 16 feet long and they have a hinge in the middle and they fold up in the middle and, and, and then they can be wheeled and stacked in these closets all upright like that. Or in our case, taking them out of the closet and putting them away. That's what we were uh, dealing with. And Mr. Zimiga, he, he uh, told us exactly how many tables to take out, where he wanted them, how he wanted them placed. And then he showed us exactly how to move these tables carefully and slowly out and get them into position. And he warned us that this job was a privilege and that he was counting on us to handle the duties with care and responsibility, which is exactly what Mike and I did for a couple of days, especially when Mr. Zimiga was watching us those first uh, few days. But, you know, after several days of performing well and doing the job the way we were supposed to, uh, he left to go back. I mean, he's a classroom teacher and all that stuff he had to do as well, and he left us to us work. And that's when Mike and I discovered that things could happen a lot faster than that slow, plodding pace that he had shown us. I mean, these things were on wheels. And wheels were meant to go fast. And then we found out that, you know, it really didn't take two of us to handle this table. We could get plenty of speed with one guy pushing and the other guy riding on the table because you could straddle and hold on to both ends. And so Mike and I would take turns pushing and riding the tables out. And we were able to get things done so quickly. In fact, the lunchroom ladies who could not see what we were doing uh, were very impressed that we were able to get these things taken care of and set up so speedily. However, the good times didn't last. One fateful morning... As Mike was riding and I was pushing, we got going a little bit too fast. And when we tried to make the corner, Mike was, of course, riding on the table. The weight and the speed of the corner tipped the table over. He fell backwards, the table on top of him, smashed his head on a set of already set up table and, and then this table. And between him screaming and, 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 and the clatter of the table, all the lunchroom ladies came running and... Long and short of it is that was the end of our lunchroom duties. And I remember standing in front of Mr. Zimiga and feeling absolutely awful. Not, not just because we had messed up, not because we lost our job, although we were bummed out about that too, but I felt so bad because I knew I had let him down. I mean, since... He gave me the job and was therefore my boss, not to mention my teacher and my principal. I was obligated to do things the way he instructed, and I had failed. 
Out of all the students, he had chosen me and Mike for this opportunity. And through carelessness and downright stupid choices, I had blown it. And he was angry, yes, but I could also see the disappointment in his eyes. And since I respected and liked him and was also obligated to him for this opportunity, I mean, that made me feel horrible. And that look in his eyes of disappointment haunted me for a long time afterwards. And I thought of that this week, you know, as bad as that incident was for me, and maybe you've had some similar type of incident in your life where you let someone down, as bad as that was, that pales in comparison to the story that Jesus tells in these verses. Now, for the sake of our study today, we're actually going to look at this story in reverse order that Jesus gave it. But before we do that, and before I read the story, we, we want to identify the characters so we know what's happening as we go through. There's three main characters. There's the master, and the master is obviously Jesus Christ himself. And through the course of the story, we find out that the master is gone uh, away somewhere, but that he will be returning at some unspecified point in the future. Beyond the master, you have two slaves. Uh, one slave was identified as the faithful and sensible slave, the good slave. The, the bad slave is identified as the evil slave. And as you'll see, it was their behaviors that showed the difference uh, between the two. Uh, there's one other group of people in the parable, the fellow slaves, but they don't really play a big role, so we're not going to worry about them. Okay, one other important distinction that we have to make, especially for those of you that have been here for the previous uh, series, uh, sermon series on here, uh, you, you may remember that I have made a point of saying that, uh, that we as believers are slaves of Christ, that that's who we are. It's part of, although not the whole, as we'll see in a future sermon, but part of our identity in Christ. However, in this particular parable, the slaves represent all the people of the earth, both Christian and non-Christian, followers and, and non-followers. And I think that becomes clear as the, as the parable is read. Uh, and I think it's important to remember that a parable is a made-up story using real-life objects and situations in order to convey a specific spiritual truth. And, and since that is true, various details uh, in, in the story may not always fit with every theological truth since they are just a, a detail of the story that's helping to make one main point. And, and so that's the case here. Slaves in this particular parable just are all people, saved and unsaved. Uh, the master equals Jesus. So with that in mind, let's, let's read the parable. Matthew 24, starting in verse 45, says this. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So uh, the overall picture here is pretty easy to get, right? You, you have this master. He's the owner of a large household. And when they say household there, that doesn't just include your home. That includes his entire estate and business uh, ventures and all of that thing. And that means that there would have been a lot of slaves uh, working for this guy with widely uh, ranging responsibilities. Uh, there would have been some slaves who were uh, more on the physical labor, you know, mucking out the barn and, and, and doing the hard physical labor labor of the, of the keeping up the place uh, and, and that, but there would have also been various slaves who might have what we would call middle management or in, in even upper management type of duties, uh, supervising and, and, and leading. And um, it was common back in those days for slaves who had good organizational skills and abilities, people skills, intelligence, uh, to be able to rise to positions of very great prominence as a slave. Uh, remember the story of Joseph is, is one example of that. In the Old Testament, in Genesis, uh, he, Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And, um, and uh, you can read the story from Genesis 37 to the end of the book if you want. But at one point in that story, after he's been sold as a slave, we read this. Now his master, Joseph's master, saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in, the, in his sight and became his personal servant, and the word is slave there, personal slave, and he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned and put him in his charge. And just a couple of verses later, it says, so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food with which he ate. Absolutely everything this guy owned, his entire business dealings, his finances, the household, all of these things were left in the control of this foreign slave. Uh, that's the type of thing that happened. Joseph had to handle these business financial matters, the practical operations of the household, such as feeding and caring for the rest of the slaves, all that type of thing. And that is what Jesus is picturing in this parable. That's the slave being left in charge. But you have two very different responses to Jesus uh, or the master's call uh, to do that. And as I mentioned, we're going to look at them in reverse order, starting with the negative. We have one slave who chooses to ignore the master's instructions using his position of power for selfish and foolish ends, which are summarized in verse 49 by saying, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. And basically what that means uh, was saying that he abused his power, letting it go to his head, treating his fellow slaves poorly and contemptuously, didn't care about the people, the others around him, and then he used his master's money to live this luxurious party life. And, and that's not at all what the master had intended for him to do. And verse 48 then gives the reason why he felt he could get away with this sort of behavior. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master, he's not coming for a long time. See, he felt no accountability to the master. I mean, it may be that he even thought that the master was never coming back, and so he could just do as he wanted. I mean, that would be similar to the people mentioned in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, where it says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mockings, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. See, basically, these people are saying, oh, come on, man, you, you can't believe in that God stuff. Really? 
Jesus coming back? It's been 2,000 years. That's not going to happen. Forget about that stuff. You can just do as you please in this world. That's the thinking of the evil slave. They disregard the master in order to do their own thing, in order to satisfy their own desires. But this denying of the master and living for yourself will not work out in the end. I mean, certainly it may seem to be working out for a while. You may have some luxurious years going on there. Psalm 73 describes uh, people, this, this exact situation, and the people this way. It says, they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Oh, come on, God, really? Are, is, are you serious? Are you thinking that? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they have increased their wealth. You ever wondered about that? You ever looked around and said, man, these people, they're... They're not following God at all. Man, everything's going their way. Look at all the money they got. They're taking trips to, to exotic places and relaxing and resting and eating all the food they want. And I'm slaving away and barely making ends meet each month and, and, and going on and on like this. Yeah, sin uh, can seem to work out for a while. You can do okay for yourself until the master returns. As verse 50 explains, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know. See, the truth is that neither believers nor unbelievers have any idea when Jesus will return. The difference is believers are expectantly watching for him while unbelievers have no expectation of his return. This slave lived how he wanted to live because he felt no accountability to the master. And as a result, when the master did come back, verse 51 says, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A selfish, live for myself, fulfill my own desires kind of life may seem good and may seem to work out for a while for some people, but it is destined for a horrible end. But now, let's look at the other option. Jesus started the parable with a question in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Uh, this slave is described as faithful and sensible. And, and we know what those words mean, right? Faithful refers to a person who is reliable and, and can be counted on. Faithful means you keep in mind what the master wants and do things that, the way he desires, regardless of how you might feel about it yourself or how fun it might appear to do it some other way. To be faithful means you are consistent, trustworthy, and honest in performing your duties. That's faithful. Sensible carries the idea of understanding both your position and your obligations and that you don't get bent out of shape about understanding. This is who I am. This is my position. I am a slave and this is what I need to do. A sensible slave is the one who responds, yes, sir, to the master's every command because they realize that the master is the one in charge, not themselves. And therefore, what the master says goes. A sensible slave keeps track of all that the master wants to do and then makes sure that he does it exactly the way the master says to do it. 
Sensible means wise, smart enough to know that doing things exactly the way the master wants them to be done is the only right option. A sensible slave accepts his role, his function, and his responsibilities, believing that the master assigned him and placed him in the best possible place to succeed. Therefore, he carries out all his duties without complaining and with good effort and efficiency. So the question is, who is the faithful and sensible slave? And verse 46 tells us, blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. At whatever time he shows up, Whenever he walks in the gym, you're putting out the tables in the proper way. The faithful and sensible slave is the one who has a valid sense of accountability to the master such that he is always engaged in doing what the master says. And because he's always working in the way the master says, when the master does show up, he catches him right in the act right in the act of doing what you're supposed to do. He's carrying out his duties and obligations just as commanded. It's the exact opposite of letting him down. So, I mean, the obvious question for us today is, am I being a faithful and sensible slave? So being faithful and, and sensible is not about your feelings. It's about choosing to do what is right because that's what we're called to do. Now, because we do serve a good master, I mean, he has designed that we will also experience uh, uh, joy and peace and fulfillment and purpose and a lot of other great things as, as we carry out our duties for him. But that's a bonus. I mean, what we do what we're commanded to do because it's our duty. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's just what we do. So are we being a faithful and sensible slave? I mean, I know part of being faithful means knowing what assignment God has given you. And here, this is where a lot of people tend to freak out. Oh, I don't know what God's will for me is in my life and what I should be doing. And how do I know what the master wants me to do? Well, guess what? He wrote about 98% of it out for you. He gave it to us in his word. So we know that our obligation as a slave of Christ, for instance, is to follow the golden rule. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Or as believers, we can take it a step further in Romans 13. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Those are very general rules. That's what God is calling us to do. That's what the master wants us to do. There's some specific commands. Yeah, we see those in there as well. Things like, uh, for example, for this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So we can ask ourselves, am I being a faithful and sensible slave? But, but it goes beyond uh, those behavior type of things too because see, God, the Master, has called us all, all of us, every single follower, 
to be on mission. His final command before leaving earth with the promise that he was going to return was this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. There's two basic parts to that command. Telling other people about Jesus and helping them grow in their faith. Being a faithful and sensible slave means I am on mission all the time. Part of what we have been doing in our vision team meetings is talking about how we can do that better, both as a church as a whole and as individuals, to be faithful and sensible. We want to be on mission. Beyond that, yes, God has called us to be involved in the work of His household in serving in some specific way. And again, we get, oh, what, I don't know what God wants me to do or what His will would be for me. Well, however He wired you and, and, and gifted you, that's how you serve. It's not that hard. What things do you like to do? Do it. What things did God make you good at? Use it. Uh, it it's fairly simple. Not all of us can lead in worship singing or, or, or bring special numbers to the church or that type of thing, but those who can should. Not all of us can teach Sunday school or help in the nursery or be a greeter or an usher or work at Camp Halawasa, right? But those who can should. Maybe your skills would involve caring for this facility that God has entrusted to us or perhaps uh, being a prayer warrior, providing prayer covering for various ministries that are going on in church or visiting in hospitals or shut-ins or prison. However God has wired and prepared you, being a faithful and sensible slave means doing it. It's that simple. And the illustration that Jesus gave says that the slave is blessed who does these things. Sorry about that. I just spit a big one. The slave is blessed who does these things. In fact, it goes on to say this, Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So don't get hung up again on the details. It's a parable, remember? It's just trying to make one basic point. And the basic point it's trying to make here is that, is that a faithful slave will be rewarded by the master. And, and we're going to look at what that might look like, in, like I say, in a future message here. But for now, we need to understand being a slave comes with obligations and duties that we are called to do. Those are not hidden God has given them to us. And so our choice is either to be faithful and sensible or to let the master down. And I know, and I get it, I understand that Jesus loves us unconditionally. He loves me fully and completely. When I fail and when I succeed, He still loves me. But I'm still making a choice because the reality is I can still disappoint him. And my goal is to get caught in the act of doing what he has called me to do. As a husband, as a father, as a church member, 
as a community member. And that's my specific role that he's put me in the church family as pastor. And what he's called me to do will be different in each of those different roles and areas. But I want to get caught in the act because I want to be a faithful and sensible slave. And so the question I leave with you is, what about you? Let's pray. Father God, again, we, we do thank you that um, your word is clear. And sometimes, sometimes it is heavy and hard. But God, we understand that none of this would be possible without Jesus Christ and that even being a faithful and sensible slave, we cannot do apart from his empowerment in our lives. And so we're so grateful for the resource you give us in Jesus. But God, we also realize that we make choices every day. And I pray that in the choices we make, we would make them in light of the fact that we know the Master is coming back. And we're accountable to Him. And we want to do that which would please our Master. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.